Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that usually takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. But this is a special holiday edition because I'll be watching my daughter march in a Columbus Day parade when I'd normally be taping. So instead, we've got highlights from a recent discussion I moderated in Boston titled Tech in the Age of Trump. My panelists were Anthony Scaramucci, who briefly served as President Trump's communications director, and Henrique Dubagras, the co-founder and CEO of Brex, a credit card startup that sponsored the event and which just announced new venture capital funding at a valuation north of $1 billion. I hope this gets you smarter faster, and we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata podcast. Enrique, let me start. You run a company in San Francisco. I'm going to be presumptuous enough to assume that at least a good percentage of your employees uh, consider themselves to be, uh, whether they be Democrats or liberals, let's call them anti-Trump folks. Is that a fair? That's a pretty fair assessment. All right. So for you as a CEO, what do you feel your role is to reflect that or not? You're You're not an elected official. You're not a representative, but you're the CEO of these people. So my thoughts on this are, I think that you have different paper like functions in society. If you're a startup founder, if you're like a established big monopoly founder, uh, a startup founder, right? We try and survive. We're trying to get our first customers. We're trying to grow. We're trying to hire people. Nobody wants to work for you, right? There's all these like day to day challenges. So my position is, I have to do what's right for my startup and. Politically, I hire people that are pro-Trump, I hire people that are pro-Hillary, I hire people who are really good and I really don't care what their political choices are. And I feel that Brex, at this point, doesn't have necessarily responsibility of doing any sort of activism because we're starting from trying to survive. If it were the fact that Brex was a 20-year-old company worth hundreds of billions of dollars, I think that would change significantly compared to um, what, where we are now. So, Anthony, let me ask you the flip, which is you work colloquially, let's say, on Wall Street, and then run, obviously, run Skybridge Hedge Fund. You obviously have a little bit of a tie to Trump. Just as a management perspective, in terms of your business, not your other stuff. How does your Trump relationship and experience affect that? How does it affect Skybridge? It has been negative and it has been positive. And depending on the city and the people, it's negative or positive. If I go to the Midwest, it's resoundingly positive. If I go to San Francisco, I would say that it has negative tendencies, but then there's always quiet Trump support where I'm not going to name names, but you would be blown away at the number of people inside of Silicon You can name a couple of names. One senior, you've already got enough trouble with on and off the record, so I'm, I'm not going to name names. But, but if, you, if, you, if you're walking around in Silicon Valley, you would be blown away at the number of people that say, oh, you know, I actually voted for the guy. I can't tell people that here because of the uh, animosity. So it just seems that like there's a collectivism of uh, Trump hatred, and some of it is justified based on some of the things that he does with his personality. But the flip side of it is is that it's really a battle now between policy and personality. And so if you don't like his personality, you hate him, but then if you stop and you look at a line item of different policies that have taken place, if you covered up his name and you presented those policies and then you demonstrated what those policies did to the U.S. Uh, stock market, the U.S. employment situation, GDP growth, et cetera. If he, he didn't have that sort of a personality, he'd have a pretty high approval rate. Anthony, what are your thoughts just uh, on the relationship between Silicon Valley right now and the White House or, or D.C.? And, and when you have these CEOs, these big-name CEOs, come out on hot-button issues, whether it be immigration, whether it be some of the pri- – forget the privacy stuff because that's specific to their business. So so things that are matter to their business but aren't specific. Are you surprised that 
hasn't things have become so contentious between the Valley and the White House? I'm not surprised because of what's going on at what Enrique described the monopolies. Uh, and so what's going on is there's shadow banning. There's, there's not shadow banning. banning. That's not happening. Okay, all right. I'm, I'm just saying that's not happening. Okay, well, I know for a fact that there is a algorithm on Twitter and on Facebook that screens out certain personalities, sure. screens out certain policies. So yeah. if you don't want to call it shadow banning, let's call it an algorithm that screens out certain political views and certain policies and reduces uh, people's visibility. And so forget about me for a second, we just go to Kevin McCarthy, who's a pretty influential guy and uh, could potentially be the Speaker of the House next year. I think that the Democrats will likely win the House, but I'm just saying he'll be in the minority or one of the minority leaders. He's been effectively eliminated. His voice has been eliminated from Twitter and Facebook uh, through the algorithm. Not eliminated. He, no, 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 the Twitter no, algorithm. So they've changed. Twitter's so, changed that. Changed what? Change, so Twitter had an algorithm that basically didn't matter what you. I mean, it matters what you say, but it wasn't specific to McCarthy. It was about his followers and what was happening with bots on his followers. But but according to what Dorsey said on in front of Congress, he, yeah. they've gotten rid of that. Okay, well, they, they actually haven't gotten rid of it, and so that's really where the tension is between these quote-unquote monopolies and the White House, because the White House's point of view is that if we're all here believing in free speech and believe, believing in democracy, then all of these views should be on display. I mean, one of the big issues with the nation's universities now is that certain voices are quieted at those universities. And so, I don't know, maybe the, you guys will disagree with me on that, but I don't think that's how the founders set it up. And by the way, when I joined the White House, although I was only there for a short period of time, my first move was to turn the lights and cameras back on in the room, because if you believe in the First Amendment, you know that the founders wanted the free press to hold people accountable that are in power. Because let me tell you what happens. People get power, like Lord Acton said, it corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so one of the important ingredients to have checks and balances in a society is free press. But you can't have the social media organizations that are now a platform for communication, shadow banning, algorithmically eliminating people. And so a result of which the tension is very high and there will be now regulation imposed on those companies. And it may be good for corporate profitability, it may not be, but I think that that was a, by a large mistake. Those companies could have stayed relatively unregulated had they not gotten into the game of politics. A perception of Trump is that he is impressed by monetary success, business success, power, essentially. And which is one of the reasons folks think that a lot of people he interacts with socially are CEOs. The reason he brought a lot of CEOs into the government, into the cabinet. Do you feel it is personally for him a little bit more, um, if not hurtful, a little bit more jarring when criticism of him is coming from a big, successful Fortune 20 CEO than it would be from someone else, which has been why, in part, why it's gotten more contentious? You're making the point that that uh, Jeff Bezos or somebody like that that's criticizing sure. Trump, that upsets him more, and that's why he's reacting that way. But, you know, I know the guy personally, so I don't I don't see it that way. Um, I would say that those people are not his base. People that work on Wall Street are not his base. And I would say that the top 1% to 2% of the people that actually hold the assets in the country are actually not his base. And but so, they're who he brought into the White House. A lot, not, well, not exclusively. Some of those people are. I mean, he brought in who he thought were friends of his that he could trust, and then he brought in uh, governmental officials and ex-military people. But I think if you're making the point that because Jeff Bezos has been super critical of him, his knee-jerk reaction is to try to crush Jeff Bezos, I don't think it's that simple. I think there's a, it's a lot more complicated. I mean, I can, I can take you back. The first day I was in the White House, 
and I crossed through the Oval Office, I went into the study, and I sat with him uh, while we were talking about whether, who was gonna be where, and who was gonna be the press secretary, and so forth, and then he, he looked at me and said, listen, what's your opinion on Amazon? Are they a monopoly, and can they be broken up? And I said, well, you know, I studied this stuff in law school, uh, they've only got 4% of the retail uh, in the country, they've got 46% of the internet retail, but 4% of the retail in the country would be impossible to break them up. You'd have to change German antitrust law, you'd have to go through all this other stuff. Um, and I think what he's sore about with Jeff Bezos is that he believes that Jeff Bezos is using the ownership of the Washington Post as a platform of lobbying against him. Uh, and so then the conversation diverted to that. And I said, look, the only way you're gonna be able to win this thing is on good policy. Now, you, know, you guys, Maybe you'll disagree with me on this, but this is a Harvard study, it's not me personally. 91% of the coverage on the president is negative. Um, and so you just rolled your eyes. So I did. You don't, you don't, yeah. So you don't believe I, that? I think, well, I think most of the, most of the coverage is, is simply the president was here today and he said this, period, and that's the end of the coverage. Most of it.